Hello and welcome to Elevate to Success, discussions on project management and leadership ideas, tips and techniques of being a project manager, agile practitioner, or a leader in your organization. So let's go. Okay, uh, welcome back again. Uh, we're here for part two of our LPM, Lean Project Management series. Uh, and I have with me today again, Alan Ward, who's going to provide us some information and some knowledge on regarding to regarding um, the value stream. And um, so we're going to examine and talk about the importance of the value, the different value streams, and then identify how the streams work within the arts. And again, guys, this is uh, this is based on safe uh, methodology, safe framework. So just want to let you know. So I'm going to uh, turn the mic over to you, Alan, and let's get going. Yeah, thanks, uh, Lloyd. Pleasure to be back again. It uh, so let's recap. It uh, in our last session, part one, we talked about how strategic themes support the enterprise, and then from those strategic themes, they drive a current portfolio canvas, which identifies uh, resources and revenue streams and some other things. And then from there, we create a SWOT, and from there, we create a TOES. And then we, we take a look at uh, multiple potential future portfolio canvases. We settle on one. And then from there, the next step is to identify the value streams that are gonna go into there. And so the value stream is, uh, so, so let's talk about actually what is a value stream. It, uh, mm -hmm. okay. so there's actually uh, two different types of value streams. There's operational value streams and there's development value streams. An operational value stream is all of the steps um, that are taken to deliver value in an operational sense. So um, let's talk about an example of one. Um, at hospital, um, you, uh, you come to the hospital with a broken arm. So what are all the systems that will touch you? Uh, from the time you um, complete your intake to the time you pay your bill. So could be many systems and they all have to talk to each other. And, and so all the different people who support you in that um, experience with that hospital and you pay your bill uh, are part of the operational value stream. And then um, the systems that they use um, have to be identified and then all of the people who develop and support those systems will become the development value streams. So um, I, I explained it in a pretty simple fashion here. So it uh, hopefully that uh, totally makes sense. Does that make sense to you, Lloyd? Absolutely, yeah, that totally makes sense. I understand that part in terms of the operational value stream, which I, I believe everybody should understand what that is. And then, then you get into the development value stream, which is your, I guess, your, in the sense, your SDLC approach. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. So let me give yeah. you another example of an operational value stream uh, that is very common okay. in training, a consumer bank loan. It uh, So when we develop a value stream, we want to do that with a particular persona. That's the, um, the actual personality of the customer. So say we develop a persona of a, uh, um, a first time home buyer, family of three, he needs to get a home loan. And so the very first step in his persona 
of that life is to look around and decide which loan is best. So at that point, um, marketing is involved. And then the next step is he's going to get a rate quote. And then the next step, he's going to complete the application. And then there's decisioning and then um, loan terms. And then the loan is awarded. And then there's payment plan set up. He repays the money. Hopefully, if he doesn't, then he has to deal with some other group to uh, um, hassle him. <laughs> and then, uh, but um, eventually, the loan will close. And uh, each one of those is going to be a is going to be a different department, a different system that has to talk to each other. And so, the people who actually maintain and develop those systems, that's your development value stream. Got it. Yeah. Very simple. Okay. Yeah. So it uh, with an operational value stream, we talk about um, order to cash. So, um, you know, it starts when I when I've ordered a loan or when I'm decide to start looking at a loan and then it's paid off when the cash is all paid out. An operational value stream pretty much always has to end with cash. It uh, with a development value stream, it starts when the business wants something. And so we've defined an epic as an example, maybe a feature or, or something when they define something and then it ends when that's released and then there's actually follow on. So let's measure measure how successful that was. But but that's the uh, those are the steps of a development value stream. Define, build, test and release. So we need to identify all of the people who are in that development value stream. And so it's not so simple as just okay let's bring in a bunch of developers it uh, uh um in a typical decent sized company there's going to be systems all over the company that um that development value stream will rely on are you gonna have to uh rely on uh data from uh some other systems database um account information billing information more than a few times I've encountered software development teams that are hung up because they're waiting on billing data to test. And so it, uh, the solution to that is to bring people from that billing organization into your value stream so you can identify that need and have the data ready as soon as possible. Because it's all about what can we do to eliminate the waste? That's what a value stream is. We're gonna uh, look at the steps and identify the waste and eliminate that waste. So it's, an, it's pretty much the same process where you're um, going to relook at your processes. You know, if you have this lengthy process, you may want to lean it out. Complete, completely, completely. Right. So this is okay. the same concept as uh, creating a, a scrum team. We want to put everyone on the team to be able to take that story to done. So here we're going to create a, a value stream it is is uh, uh however big it is it's going to be all the people to be able to take that large piece of work to done you know in a in a real realistic um application we can't put everybody on sometimes and so then we're going to be dependent on them and so that's obviously what we call dependency and so there has to be some dependency management there so um um as we identify the work, we have to identify the dependency and get them on board, make sure they can play nice with us so that we can get what we need from them on time instead of sitting around twiddling our thumbs once we uh, uh, need that information. 
And so right. uh, once we've identified all the people for the development value stream, we have to uh, take a look at their location, um, what systems they're working on, and make some logical conclusions. If it's, uh, um, if it's less than 125 people, then you can put all of those people into a single agile release train. And so, but if it's more than 125, you need to make multiple agile release trains to support that value stream. And that's where we look at the, the logical uh, sense in that. Are we gonna do it by, um, by application, which is most common, or, but we have to take a look at location as well. And, and so if you have more than one agile release train supporting a single value stream, then you have to have what's called the solution train level in safe. So that's the, the, uh, the fourth level, so to speak. There's, there's four levels in safe. The top level is the portfolio level, but, but, uh, small to medium companies usually don't need a solution level. A solution level is like for, for the biggest companies. Right. We're talking about enterprise projects and large, much larger projects. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if you're building an airplane, um, you know, software development might be an agile release train and, uh, uh, you know, a wing might be another agile release train. And then, um, you know, I don't know, um, electricity, electrical, <laughs> electrical might be another agile release train. So, you know, with large things that are, they're all connected through that value stream. Um, then we have to have a solution, solution train level, but uh, right. most companies, uh, uh, don't need that. It's, it's not all that common. So Alan, let's, let's jump back a little in terms of operational value stream. How do we look at identifying what a operational value stream is? What are the yeah. key yeah, questions that we should ask ourselves? Yeah, there's a, um, a list of questions, uh, that you want to ask, you know, it's, it's, quite common by channel or by service it's like a bank could easily have um, let's talk about banking as an example you could have a, a credit card value stream you can have a consumer mm -hmm. banking value stream you could have a commercial loan value stream so each one of those is going to end in a in cash with a different set of steps and a different customer so that's uh, the most logical way to separate our value streams is by uh, how are we earning our money? And so the kind of general questions that you want to ask is, uh, let's see, so um, uh, let's see, what products, services, systems, applications, or solutions does the enterprise sell? Do we want to separate them by those enterprise, enterprise situations? So like as an example, Microsoft, um, they have a separate value stream for uh, Microsoft Office. They're going to have a separate value stream for, um, you know, their, their server products and uh, separate value streams for their phone products. And so it, uh, um, if, you, if you look at the path to the cash um, and who the customer is, that's going to help you define your operational value stream, which will um, in uh, downstream will will create the different development value streams. So it's it's the generating of, of revenue based on the product lines and things that they're selling, or the or the product lines of the company. Like you said, yeah, in the banking uh, industry, you have to look at the um, uh, how the revenue is generated, who the customer is, uh, what the steps are to generate that revenue. Um, 
if it's a um, you know if it's a large company with with all these different revenue streams, they would each be uh, a, a different value stream. So like uh, if you're a large company, um, you know there could be a commercial value stream versus a consumer value stream. Different steps, different people, um, different ways um, to collect that cash. Right. Exactly. Okay. So now that we're on board with that, let's move along here. Okay, so then once we've uh, identified all the people who are in the development value stream, we have to uh, make the decision, okay, can these people fit into a single Azure release stream, or do we have to make it multiple? It, uh, uh, a very large company might have, uh, you know, six, eight, ten, even more value, uh, uh, Azure release trains inside of a value stream. I can tell you that uh, a very large defense contractor um, I heard um, had uh, in excess of two dozen Agile release trains inside of a single value stream. So it can get big. It, uh, and so, but they have to be coordinated to focus on that single development value stream. Got it. Yeah. So, um, why do we why do we say settle on 125? Uh, it's a it's a simple um, arithmetic thing. Um, just like with a, with a scrum team, we say five to nine people getting work done. So that means uh, 11, including the scrum master, product owner. Um, with an Azure release train, um, beyond 125 people, logistics and inner team dependencies become more difficult. Alignment and government governance harder to achieve. So it just gets uh more complicated to the point of of, of being unwieldy um, that being said you know when when uh, um, organizations do their pi planning which is the the planning event um every eight to 12 weeks pretty much um we call that big room planning pi planning you can have um more than one agile release train do that planning i've done it with up to three um I suppose you can do it with even more, but it uh, all at all, all at once, huh? All, all at, at once. once. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. I think uh, there's um, been a lot of coordination for you yeah, guys. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It uh, uh, it's a big event, and pressure's on to uh, make sure everything is coordinated properly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I I recall back in the company that I was with, we had a small release train. You know, there was we had three release trains in, in the PI planning. But it was it was small. I think we averaged about 20, 20, 25 people, not 50, but, you know, 20, 25 people. I'm guessing that would still that. be considered a, a, a good art, right? It uh, uh, safe says 50 to 125. That being said, yeah. uh, a lot of companies um, are hesitant to jump into the deep end right away. And so um, I've actually worked with companies that, that we did what we called a POC, a proof of concept. Uh, mm -hmm. release train with only two teams and so two teams coordinating their dependencies to delivering value so you know this framework is not written in stone so it can be adjustable so so right. having a i would call that a, a mini a mini train when we talk about these arts if we have multiple arts they can be uh ideally each one is going to be equal so they can each one can deliver a feature but oftentimes that's not possible and so then they have to uh, um, be broken out by, by specialties so, uh, or subsystem 
or application. Just like with Teams, when we set up Teams, ideally we want teams that are equally capable of delivering features, but we have to supplement that with component teams. These are specialty teams that we don't have uh, resources to go across the organization. Like as an example, I'll just make this up. Um, iOS developers, developer for um, you know your iPhone. If we only have a mm -hmm. couple of those in the company and we have uh, 12 teams, then we either have to have them on you know, one developer on four teams, which is a big, big no-no, or we just have a, a couple of teams that specialize in iOS development. That's called a component team. And so exact same concept with your Agile release train. They can be feature feature trains or uh, particular subsystem trains. And so- Alan, could that be considered like an enabler train or enabler team? Oh, it, it if... could be, absolutely. It doesn't have to be, but it could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me um, also throw in a monkey wrench. A lot of large companies work with suppliers like, uh, you know, Accenture, TCS, Cognizant mm -hmm. or whatever. And, and so they can function as their own train supporting that value stream. It, the key, though, is that they know how to play by the rules. If they have their own uh, release train engineer, product manager, system architect, so they're they're in essence um, an agile release train in every way, but they can be separated from the main group, you know, if they're physically separated. If they're not, you can embed them into the into the core agile release trains, but but sometimes they're not, and so you have to carve them out separate. But uh, they can function as an agile release train as one of the uh, on that on that value stream. How would you if say say you have a, you have several release trains in your organization, but you have also third party vendors that are sitting outside doing other work, interface integration work for you. They're embedded somehow in the teams. Those third parties are running traditional project management methodology. Get them embedded into the train concept. Yep, I, I've dealt with that many times. So ideally in a perfect world, you get them trained with your group so that they're safe certified. They're gonna play, you know, agile and, and scale agile and lean and all those things with you. But say they're not, they're they're part of a big company that does does waterfall. So is how you would do that is as soon as you have the requirement or the story or feature that requires their them to work on, to, to input, to to help uh, design, let them know as soon as possible. And then as soon as you um, have identified when you want that done, uh, let them know as soon as possible. So they could be waterfall, you know, making their nice little Gantt charts and everything. But if you have a story where they need to deliver a finished product in the third sprint of uh, right. October, let them know, send them the requirement, including the acceptance criteria. And, and so um, ideally get them connected to the team so that they can do their waterfall thing, but they're still gonna call in and give updates on the status of delivering that component on time. Right. So, uh, so then you're gonna have, say, say you have uh, two different Azure release trains. I, and mm -hmm. then the work that we're gonna be putting into our portfolio, those are called epics the big pieces of work, you know, you eliminate the word project and you replace that with that. And so the epics will be given to the different value streams, which will have the different Azure release trains in them. In a perfect world, an epic will not go outside of that value stream 
but in the real world, sometimes they do. And so yeah. at that point, the portfolio um, at the portfolio sink has to be responsible for identifying and coordinating those dependencies, just like uh, a scrum of scrums does that uh, you're familiar with already, Lloyd, it, where, where teams have to deal with cross dependencies. This is where value streams have to deal with cross dependencies. So say you're building an airplane, the engine has a certain electrical requirement, and that's a different value stream from, uh, or agile release train from, uh, um, I don't know, the computer system. They all have to talk to each other. So you have to deal with those dependencies. And so even on the very, very biggest thing of different value streams, there, there, is, a, there is dependency management. And so that has to be identified. The risk has to be uh, roamed where it's uh, resolved, owned, accepted, or mitigated. And, and then we, uh, we stay on top of it. Right. And, you know, and that's, that's a key thing to, for everybody to understand is making sure that you, know, you identify those dependencies because those dependencies could turn into big risks in your yep. project. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You know, another thing to look at when we're identifying our arts is what's the capacity of this art? You know, how I've configured it you know, this art can theoretically put out 360 points per month and this other one, 700. Well, you know, maybe we need to uh, adjust that a little bit. It, uh, and so that can be done on a cadence. You don't have to, once you've identified an art and, you know, who are the people on the art, um, it doesn't have to be fixed. You can adjust that maybe, you know, you don't want to do it every month, but, uh, uh, every every six months is is not uncommon at all so and actually that goes in line with uh, agile budgeting which we'll get into i think uh um in one of our future episodes right so who's involved in the art again uh, helen who, who are the key uh, players that should be in the art yeah well before we talk about who's in the art let's talk about who defines the art so that's going okay. to be your, your lean portfolio management, which is going to be the executives and business owners and the agile program office, uh, agile portfolio office. They're going to define the value streams and then uh, they'll define the arts. If, the, if, they're, uh, if the value stream is uh, 125 or less, then it'll probably be a single art. If it's more than 125, it'll have to be multiple arts. And so those will be stood up by the portfolio. So then once they're stood up, the first thing to do is to say, okay, so we need three people. We call them the three amigos, a product manager, a release train engineer, and a systems architect. Those three people own the delivery of the solutions that that art is building. And then underneath them, the actual people who build it, that's going to be uh, eight to 10 teams. Uh, it could be less. It's often, oftentimes less if you're just getting started, but, uh, but they say it's eight to 10. It, uh, and so uh, those teams actually get work done. Each one of those teams will have a Scrum Master product owner. Let me say something about that. It, uh, we call this gearing. It's not uncommon for a Scrum Master to be the Scrum Master for a couple of teams, if, if, especially if he's a, a competent Scrum Master. I wouldn't wish that on, on anybody who's brand new, but for a competent Scrum Master, they should be able to handle two teams. Same thing for a product owner. It, uh, but I would not ever, ever recommend a product owner to have three teams. It's just not practical. And, and yeah, Scrum, I, I would agree with you on that 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. And, and Scrum Master, the same thing. I've been, you know, in, in the past, I've been a Scrum Master for three teams. I cannot do a good job. 
it, it's impossible. You're on roller skates. You, you cannot support three teams. And so many companies actually uh, stick to the strict rule of one team, one scrum master, one team, one product owner. And if you have the, uh, the resources to support that, that's fantastic. That's the ideal way to, to really excel at the, at the team delivery level. So, but then going up to the next level at the Agile release train, these are dedicated roles. A release train engineer should only be responsible for a single Agile release train. Same thing for a system architect, same thing for a product manager. This is a big, important, fully dedicated role. Right, exactly. So could, let me ask you this. Um, is a, can a product support um, group be also a release train? Um, there's different ways of doing it. They absolutely right? could. It, uh, okay. uh, you know, one way to do it is you have an agile release train. When you have your agile release trains, you do what we call capacity allocation, where right. um, a certain amount of the capacity of that agile release train is going to be carved out for support for, you know, production defects, things like that. And so ideally the people who develop that code should be the ones responsible for fixing it. And so, so there in, in that instance, we've embedded it into the teams. Other companies have done it where it's going to be a separate team. It could even be a separate organization. So it's not ideal, but I'm not going to say it can't be done. Okay. So the thing, your, your arts, like I said, your arts can evolve over time. So set up your arts and use it as a learning experience. You know, maybe after two PIs, you're going to shift things around and, uh, uh, but don't be afraid to do that. But each time you do that, use it as a learning experience. And, and so take a look at, take a very close look at, at, at leadership support. How are your teams collaborating? How are you executing? Um, do these different agile release trains have clear products or solutions to work on? And so oftentimes you need to make a little bit of adjustments here and there. Well, it's all about agile, right? being flexible. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, uh, you know, when you make a mistake, you learned what not to do next time, but don't be afraid to make a decision if you don't have all the answers. So, right. uh, you know, standing up the portfolio and, and creating agile release trains, value streams, it's, if you've never done it before, it's a little scary, very new, but just use the best information you have and the best people you have and, and learn from it. So at this point, we've identified our value streams. So a portfolio would have at least one, of course, and, but it could have many. And so now we have the lean portfolio stood up with uh, one or more value streams. And so then the next thing is to actually put work into it. And so in one of our future episodes, we're actually going to budget for this value stream. So we're going to say, okay, all these people that are on this Agile release train, we're going to uh, plan and approve their budget for six months. As an example, it could be a year, but it's very common for six months. We don't know what they're going to work on yet. We have a general idea, but we don't have specific idea, but we're going to approve their budget. And then we're going to take a look at the epics, the big pieces of work, and we're going to uh, review that in a Kanban approach and, and give these teams this work. And so we'll get to that in the next episode. So that's what we're queued up for is, is taking a look at the epics in the portfolio Kanban. Fantastic. So we're covered for this value stream episode then. Yep. 
And so uh, if you want more information on this, you know, go to scaleagileframework.com, click the lean portfolio management level at the very top and uh, take a look at the, uh, the value streams and you can take a look at, you know, the strategic themes. All the things we've talked about are, are transparent and you can dive deep into learning about them more. Hey, thanks a lot again for taking the time to kind of talk to us on really high level of, of what the value streams are and, you know, who, what the components are in the value stream. Oh, my pleasure. This is Elevate to Success. Your host, Lloyd Philip B. with Infinity Bolt. For more information on how we can help you with your project management, coaching, as well as mentoring, you can go to my website at www.infinitybolt.com and send me an email. Please share this podcast and also tell a friend about us. Until then, keep it real.